Fuck you, Michael Bay. Fuck you. <laughs> Seriously. Fuck you. <laughs> hello and welcome to the Omcast Grand Rewatch. My name is Dom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Yes. Yes. So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. And we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to provide a weekly retrospective on some of the biggest franchises in cinema history giving you a full spoiler rundown of each film in a series, including plot summaries, analysis, and behind-the-scenes trivia. This week, we're continuing our rewatch of the M. Night Shyamalan superhero series by watching the 2016 movie Split, starring James McAvoy, James McAvoy, James McAvoy, and James McAvoy, <laughs> in what can only be described as a tour de force performance. Okay, right, that's it. That's your one tour de force no. for this recording. No, all right, okay, well, all right. I'll see if I can squeeze some more, etc. I'll see if I can squeeze some more in. So, um, just for the purpose of the readers, uh, Dom is going to be uh, doing the rundown this week because, as you might be able to tell, my voice isn't holding out very well. He's got, yeah, he's got the man flu. I'm, I'm fine, really, but I just don't know how long my voice is going to hold out for. It'll be fine. It, like, I hope that, what I will say as well about the rundown, like, if you know anything about this movie, you'll know that it's both. Very simple and also very very complicated. <laughs> like it's got like there's it's a very small cast, but not really. And yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to keep everything straight. And there will be times when I refer to characters as their personalities name because basically, for again, what I will say up front before I get into the rundown is the idea of this movie is that it's about split personalities. Yeah, that is the you know the title's called Split. The idea is about dissociative identity, identity disorder. disorder and James McAvoy plays many versions of what looks like the same person, but there are different personalities. They all have names, though. So what I'm going to yeah. try and do is refer to each one as their name so you can tell which one I'm talking about at any given moment. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is going to be a tough one. I'm glad, I'm glad I volunteered like, to I do Unbreakable. I didn't, I didn't even think about it last week. I just went, oh, can you do the rundown for Unbreakable? So I couldn't be asked. I didn't yep. think about the the consequences of my actions. Yeah. Ugh. All right, fine. That's going to work out well, isn't it? Okay, so I'm on, yeah. Anyway, so this is what happens in Split. The film begins with a sad-looking teenager at a birthday party. She's either Cassie or Casey. 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 She's Casey. Casey Cook. Casey Cook. Oh, shit, yeah, Casey Cook, right. She is Casey, a high school outsider who was Mercy invited to her classmate Claire's birthday. Claire's dad is giving Claire, Cassie, and her friend Marcia a lift. In the parking lot, Claire's dad is knocked out off-screen and a creepy James McAvoy gets into the car. The stranger puts on a mask and sprays the girls with some kind of knockout gas. Smash cut to a creepy basement. The girls are terrified as creepy McAvoy takes Marcia out of the room. Cassie quickly tells her to pee on herself, having noticed that McAvoy is OCD. Sure enough, he immediately lets her go and he's freaking out. We then meet psychiatrist Dr. Fletcher while the TV explains that the police are aware of the kidnapping. The girls attempt to come up with a plan. Claire wants to fight him while Casey thinks this wouldn't work. A flashback scene shows Casey being taught how to hunt by her dad and her uncle. Then, a camp fashion designer James McAvoy then arrives for a session with Dr. Fletcher. This is Barry, one of the personalities sharing the body that we see as James McAvoy. The doctor can tell something isn't right. Barry had insisted on a session by email, and now he's saying that everything's fine. Back with the girls, we hear a conversation through the door, seemingly between two different people. 
a creepy lady James McAvoy enters the room. This is Patricia, another personality. She explains that the kidnapper, a personality known as Dennis, is not allowed to touch them. Dr. Fletcher has a conversation with a psychiatry colleague about her theory. She believes that patients with dissociative identity disorder, or DID, can change themselves physically. Dennis gives the girls cleaning supplies and tells them that they are sacred food and not to be touched. Fast forward and the girls wake up to find another identity sitting in the doorway. This is Hedwig, a nine-year-old boy who warns them that something is coming. Casey tries to trick Hedwig by telling him that he's also in danger from the other thing on the way. Hedwig lets slip that the place has recently been made safe. The girls then realise that the drywall in the room is all new and they quickly find a grate in the ceiling. While Claire smashes her way through the drywall to get to the grate, the others hold him off. Claire attempts to run but is caught by Dennis, who then separates her from the others. Dr. Fletcher gives her lecture over Skype. She starts making sense and then she starts suggesting crazy shit about the supernatural and they <laughs> cut her off. Barry then has another session with Dr. Fletcher but she continues to suspect that someone else is in charge. After a very weird director cameo and some crazy theory about bins and rubbish or something, she still is no closer to figuring out what's going on. Back in the room, Patricia comes in and brushes Casey's hair before leading her and Marcia to the kitchen. After some very tense sandwich making, Marcia makes a run for it, but she too is captured and then separated. An enraged Dennis finally gives a name to the unknown entity that is coming for them. He tells Casey that the Beast will be here soon and he's coming for all of them. Casey then wakes up to find Hedwig cuddling her. This time Hedwig reveals that he has a window in his room. Barry then has another session with the Doctor, and this time the Doctor is able to coax out Dennis, who reveals that he has taken over in order to help Kevin the central or real identity. The Doctor debates the existence of the Beast and eventually convinces Dennis that the extra identity doesn't exist as he does not follow the rules of all the other identities. Hedwig sneaks Casey to his room to show her his dancing. He reveals that he has a real walkie-talkie and Casey uses it to call for help before being stopped by Patricia. In one particularly disturbing flashback, it is revealed that Casey's uncle was sexually abusing her. Back in the present, a concerned Dr. Fletcher goes to Kevin's place of work to confront him. After a tense discussion about the beast and his eating of the impure young, the Doctor finds an excuse to go and explore and finds Claire. Dennis knocks her out and continues with his plan. He's going to the train station to meet the beast. After a transformation, the beast runs wild and kills Dr. Fletcher, but not before she writes down one final message, instructing the reader to say the full true name of McAvoy in order to bring him back. Kevin Wendell Crumb. The Beast continues to go nuts, eating Marcia and Claire. Casey finds the Doctor's note and manages to briefly bring Kevin back. A guilt-ridden Kevin tells her about a shotgun he has hidden before the Beast takes over again. After a final chase, Casey shoots the Beast twice in the chest with a shotgun, but he keeps going. Until that is, he sees the self-harm scars all over Casey's body. A flashback shows us that Casey's uncle took her in after her father dies. The Beast leaves her and flees. The next day... Casey's rescued by one of Kevin's colleagues and it is revealed that we are actually in the zoo. The police turn up and find the bodies. A police officer tells Casey that her uncle is here to pick her up and she responds with a determined stare. Kevin has found a place to hide and a three-way conversation between Dennis, Patricia and Hedwig confirms that with Kevin's shotgun scars they now have the proof they need that the beast exists and they can fully take over the other good identities. Then in a weird tacked on scene Everyone is watching the TV in a diner, and a reporter described in vivid detail the incident at the zoo, referring to the murderer as the Horde. A lady with a notebook helpfully wanders out loud. Who was that guy in the wheelchair they sent to jail 14 years ago? 
they gave him a funny nickname too. Luckily, she happens to be sitting right next to Bruce Willis, who helpfully informs her the name she's thinking of is Mr. Glass. End. <laughs> I, lo- I love that bit at the end. She remembers so much detail. She remembers that it's 14 years ago. Precisely 14 years yeah, yeah. ago. The guy was in a wheelchair. They gave him a funny nickname. The most memorable thing about the whole case was the fact that they called him Mr. Glass and she forgot it. <laughs> Mate, like that whole scene just absolutely blew my mind the first time I saw it. I know, but it's because so... <laughs> n- because it's both explicitly amazing and fucking awful yeah. at the same time. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just it's so like tacked on and like and like that. It's the report on the TV is the worst. Yeah, it's the report because she's just going. The report like... on the television is is implied that it's live, and they're like, and there was this man who lived below. The maintenance plant in zoo, and then one of his extra personalities appears to be a conflagration of all the other personalities of other predators that exist within the zoo. None of that was made clear, so, but like none of, and also just the leaps of logic and just yeah. the, like she said, uh, sources close to the case are calling him the horde. I'm like, who? Who's close? who are these sources? Like the only source that could have given you that potentially would have been the doctor, who's dead. Yeah. So who the fuck are you talking well, about? Exactly. I mean, it's very lucky that he had all of those video diaries on his PC. Yeah, that's true. But even that is like, what? So that like, were they given immediately to the press? Exactly. Did she watch all of that? How does she have such a? Who's deep... this savant that has watched every single one of those videos, <laughs> which I presume has been going on for numerous years? Well, since two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden they've leaked that to the press or told that to the press verbatim, who have then told it to the public, and then Bruce Willis is there. It's so random. It's so random, and just yeah, and then just it one... felt like this horribly artificial framing device. And then when you saw Bruce Willis, you go, you know what? I forgot all about this because Bruce Willis is in this film. It's in the same universe, and he's, he's got the badge on his on his chest that says, that done. says "Done." And you're like, right, this is great. And he this says, "This is great." None of this is too on the nose. None of this is being kicked in your crotch, obvious, because David Dunn is back. And he says, Mr. Glass. And he says, Mr. Glass. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, and it, it obviously, yeah, this was a stealth sequel, which I don't think has ever been done before. It's like, I get, hands off to um, Shyamalan for that, I guess. Yeah, because, definitely. Because, like, I, yeah, I can't think of any other instance when you could do a backdoor sequel to something. No. It's just, it's bizarre, it's crazy. Yeah, it is madness. But, yeah, so effectively what they're saying is that, yeah, this exists in the same universe as Unbreakable, which we talked yeah. about last week, but that's not revealed until the end of the movie. So the vast majority of this movie is its own thing. Yeah. And it's done really well. Like, I've, we were it, saying, yeah. when, when we first started watching it, like, he's his direction is really good. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. But particularly at the beginning, like, there's some really, like, the way he shoots things and the way he racks up some tension. Yeah. Like, particularly, like, that first scene when... Um, McAvoy like gets in the car. Yeah. When he knocks the dad out. Like you don't see the dad getting knocked out. You just no. see from Kevin's point of view. <laughs> like and then he's walking up behind him and then the dad turns around and goes, Oh hey, can I help you with something? And he's yeah. like talking to you directly. And then you just see like the um and there's it? quite a lot of that sort of first person perspective yeah, throughout does, the film. He, he does it with uh, the flashback as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does it with the flashback a lot of the time when um A lot of the time when one of the personalities is talking, they talk directly down the camera. And it's it's quite an effective 
I don't know. It it felt like it was quite. It draws you in. Like a lot of the times when people talk directly down camera in films, or of the singular frame within it, and they talk at the camera, it's quite jarring. Mm. Which is why stuff like Deadpool can be quite funny. But in this, it it really draws you in. It, yeah. it actually sort of brings the character in quite a lot. I mean, one of the things that I want to sort of lead with is how much I enjoyed this. Yeah. I mean, tacked on ending aside. Yeah. Like, which just, I still loved. No, yeah. I genuinely really, really enjoyed this film. Yeah, so like, like it's, yeah, it's just, but a lot of it, I feel like the whole thing hinges almost on on McAvoy. Yeah. Like if he do, if it's not convincing that he's that they are different people. Yeah. Then it doesn't work. And I can't think. I don't know. That's the thing. I I'm trying to think of another actor who could have done it. But like Gyllenhaal. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Somebody with the same sort of range as McAvoy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Gyllenhaal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would it just be really gets, tough. Yeah, it just gets to a point where by by the end of it, you you have a so you know, like right. Well, that, that's Hedwig, and you you think of them as different characters. Yeah, you think of them as right. There's Hedwig and there's Patricia. You can and you can tell from the look on his face immediately yeah. which character his he is. Body language. Yeah. and there's the that, way he holds himself. Absolutely, and that is perfectly demonstrated. There's the scene when they one of the therapy sessions. Yeah. Where she finally manages to get out. That is not Barry who she's talking to. It's Dennis. Yeah. And there is just this one shot where it doesn't cut away, and you just see McAvoy switch from one character to another. Yeah. And he just sort of changes the way he's sitting, and his facial expression changes, and it's really, really subtle. But then he go he goes one minute he's Barry, this super outgoing camp um, fashion, fashion designer. designer, and then he goes to being Dennis, who is the super like almost militant OCD. A hard man sort yeah. of thing and you, he does it all just with his face yeah and it's fucking amazing man I love it I, it is a tour de force performance alright you've said it twice that's enough now I'm going to throw something at you next time no you can't I will you won't I literally have a wooden fist in preparation to throw I don't know why you have a wooden why do you have a wooden fist I can't tell you okay um, but yeah and just and all round I think yeah, I think it's Anna Taylor Joy is the name of who plays uh, yeah. Casey and she's brilliant as well uh, Anna or Anya a N A, I think. So however you point you pronounce that. Anyway, she's really good. Uh yeah, Anya Taylor Joy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, again with the alliterative Casey Cook. Casey Cook. And we had yeah. David Dunn in the previous one. Yeah. So yeah, they do sound like superheroes, don't they? Um what, yeah. hang on, what's um Mr. Glass's real name? Elijah. Elijah Prince. Yeah. Elijah Prince, yeah. Yeah, so that doesn't work. Anyway. Um yeah. It's and it's less just, so with a fitness. That's the thing. With, with this though, like there was no there was no um hint i guess that, that it, was it wasn't what, front-loaded it, no, as, absolutely as not. a sequel too no it was just like they were going on about how or the way it was marketed is right it's about split personalities and one yeah. of them becomes more than human and yeah. that's kind of it but then it, they start sort of seeding in little bits like basically talking about how the the doctor has got a whole theory about this that no everyone else doesn't believe like she, mm-hmm. the there's a scene where she talks to a colleague who's all you know another psychiatrist and they're talking about like her work in the academic community basically yeah. and like and going out there and people not really believing her and he's like look you none of this makes any sense you talk about these people like they've got special abilities or something or like their superpowers yeah but I don't, I don't know what exactly he says but it's something along those lines yeah. and it's like a little just and she's like what if they've tapped into something greater yeah than we know and there's this whole theme running throughout she that, even sort of says what if this is 
what was previously believed to be supernatural. Yeah, that's when she goes a bit much. Because, like she's like, uh, yeah, and I mean, it's it's similar to what we had sort of framed with Unbreakable. Yeah. So having seen Unbreakable last week and then watching this, there are the similar sort of arguments that Shyamalan has in there that, okay, yeah, these changes are there. Like, there, this is the equivalent of the Jekyll and Hyde yeah. sort of scenario. But when Elijah mentions in Unbreakable and says, yeah, it's literally just my body doesn't make one protein, which makes my bones incredibly fragile. What if you were the opposite of that? In this, it still functions as a superpower in a realistic way. Yeah, I guess so. But it's a bit overtly done. But then similarly in Unbreakable, there are a couple of things that break that sort of like theory. So like... In Unbreakable, is that like, oh yeah, it's got what, his instinct power, yeah, instinct power, yeah, it doesn't and like and the and the super strength, yeah, just the physical like there's and again there's a bit in this one or or well there's several instances where at one point she stabs him with a knife and yeah. the knife just breaks yeah on his skin and then obviously he at one point at the end he gets shot twice yeah point blank range bare chested yeah with a shotgun and the bullets don't penetrate him because he's, he's... So he still gets wounded. Yeah, but his skin... The idea is that his skin is so thick. Like, I think at one point she describes it saying that he supposedly has got a thick hide like a rhinoceros yeah. that a bullet, like a shotgun shell, can't penetrate his skin. Yeah. Which is, yeah, a bit much. Like, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, there are there are a couple of things in there where you're like, okay, like, the, the thing with David Dunn is that, yeah, that could be, like, the strength thing, for example. You know, if he had an excess of these proteins, for example, but if he had that and his bones, if his muscles didn't tear in the same way, they just continued to push things through, mm. that they wouldn't get damaged. Yeah, he would be able to continue to lift those things or be stronger, be more, well, unbreakable. Oui. But um, but then with this, it's slightly different because it's like, okay, this, this chap may have the same condition. <laughs> chap. Yeah, so so English. Yeah, <laughs> this fellow. Hello there, chap. This fellow may have the same condition that was suffered by Bruce. Well, but I, yes. I say you are a veiny chap, aren't you? My gosh, <laughs> you are quite explicit with your circulatory system, aren't you, darling? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it, it, and it could be in the same way because they demonstrate something in this where they say about one of the personalities has diabetes and requires insulin yes, injections. Yeah, yeah. So by having one of these personalities have a similar condition to that Bruce or David Dunn has is sort of makes a bit more sense in the universe and sort of grounds it slightly. Yeah, it does. But I it think, does frustrate yeah. me that, that it's still in Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, do we know this? Do they ever yeah, say it's that? the Philadelphia Zoo? Oh, right. Okay. I never. I didn't notice that. But like, the thing that sort of frustrates me, I guess, a little bit is that the, there's not the, the internal consistency where like. If she was to show the evidence of, oh yeah, one of his personalities needs insulin and some of them don't. Yeah. If she was to show like the clinical, yeah. like that would be that's case solved, done. Yeah. Like that would like people would believe that. Like that's it. You can't. One of them has been prescribed something medically in order to produce, but that is one personality within this body that you're looking yeah. at. As ridiculous as that sounds, <laughs> if that is supposed, if that is meant to work in this universe, show the bloody French university or whatever it happens to be that you're pitching to that day that those two doctor's appointments or files case closed yeah but also one of the things that she mentions she explicitly says we have this technology now we have CT scans that can scan the brains yeah yeah well, why haven't you done it yeah I think at one point he says as well didn't he talk about like he talks about another patient that she had or someone else's patient where one of the identities was blind but one of them wasn't oh I don't I don't remember that I think bit, that, but... I think that might have been when you were talking about dice 
Die. Die, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, everyone go and read that. It's the best comic book series that's come out in years. But yeah, I guess, I think the biggest sort of weird thing, and I don't know whether he's going to continue it or what it is he's trying to say, but he's got this theory or this sort of philosophy throughout this movie where it's about people who have suffered becoming something greater. Yeah. And that is like the, the sort of the theory that the Doctor keeps talking about and that's what, you know, they say, oh, no, look, these people have been through trauma, they're broken. She goes, yeah, but what if because of their trauma they are then access something greater and they're more? And then that is then reflected in the Beast and that lot's theory about how people who have suffered are somehow better. They're like, they're yeah. close, they're the evolved. Like at one point he says, you are the more evolved because yeah. you have suffered. People who haven't suffered, that's why he chooses these young girls and he has this whole thing about eating the impure young. They're impure because they haven't suffered. Yeah, which is which feels willfully willfully judgmental because he didn't realise that Casey had suffered at the hands of her uncle, yeah. and either through self harming or what like cigarette burns that were on I there as well, and which is a horrible thought. Mm. But there's this thing when he's just sort of like, "Oh, I see that now." You're so judgmental. Don't be so well, breachy. No, I think, no because that, I think that's what, that's what he mentioned before. At one point, Hedwig says that he. Was like uh, Dennis was following those two, those for, two, for four yeah. days. So I think his original plan obviously was never, never included Casey. No, but he was following those two for four days and somehow judged that they were impure in the sense of that everything's easy for them. They've got this privileged yeah. life, and they, yeah. they, you know, and and they've never suffered yeah. in his mind. But then, yeah, the fact that that is both the philosophy of the villain, but and also the kind of philosophy of if if you're talking about yeah. the doctor as being the sort of hero or one of the hero characters obviously yeah. Casey's the hero but she's the she's the good guy and she's got a theory her theory is also that these people are broken they've suffered trauma mm-hmm. and as a result of that they've become greater they've become more what we were meant to be and is that that's like a very straight I don't know what he's getting at Do you know no, what I mean? like, yeah it, it does feel like it's, it's a very strange message to put in there. yeah and has that got anything to do with his same messaging for you know David Dunn David Dunn has gone through these horrible horrific accidents and at yeah. the end of it has become something greater. But at the same time, like, like but like David almost... wasn't the one that did the suffering before, though, because David hasn't been hurt. The only suffering that he had was giving up giving up a sports career. No, but and he also he almost drowned. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, you got point. He, got, he, had, he, had, about he that. had pneumonia and he was in the hospital for three weeks. Oh, okay, yeah. So this might be the so maybe this is it. Yeah, so this might be a bit of an analogue because in the um and obviously X Men comics. Yeah, sorry, go on. Um, when they talk about powers manifesting or their, their their abilities manifesting, they tend to happen at times of great stress, sort of during adolescence or puberty. Mm-hmm. So it tends to be in certain circumstances, like Scott Summers, for example, um, was in a plane crash and suffered a head injury. Um, Jean Grey, her powers gradually manifested, which was then came out through another car crash. Um, her, like Wolverine, for example, his powers manifested at the death of his parents. They've all come around like these highly emotional moments, which would seem to sort of show a connection yeah. between that and the comic book lore. But then they're also, yeah, I mean, not even just that. How many superheroes have got tragic origin stories? Yeah. Batman's parents were gunned down. He yeah. suffered trauma, became something greater. Yeah. Superman lost his entire home planet, suffered yeah. trauma, became something greater. Yeah. Iron Man was blown up and had was shrap- injured during the war. shrapnel in his chest and then became something greater. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? So it is... He's got, it, it, yeah, there maybe is, that's it. Maybe that's his point that he's getting at. That's why it's superheroes 
and that would be something that's discussed more in class, I guess. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really want to sort of, what I really want Glass to do is, is not to be an Avengers style film. Mm. I want it to be these ideas sort of coming into fruition. Yeah. I want them to be sort of functioning together. So taking what was sort of planted in Unbreakable and cultivated in Glass to be this harvest of all these amazing ideas that he's got floating around. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, the, the discussion of the ideas, I guess, is as interesting as, like I say, I don't need another Avengers movie. Yeah. I don't need a, like, action sort of. No. But, like, having said that, we want, we'll see a bit of action at some point, you know, yeah. David, David Dunn's going to fight the Beast, which is yeah, of cool. Course. Yeah. We want to see that. But if it's going to be a lot of it of Elijah and the Doctor trying to get their heads around how this works, yeah. I'm okay with that. Like the philosophy of how it's come together and why these people are out there and how it how it relates to comic books and how that s- sort of secular relationship works, whereby it's based in something real, then comic books came out, and then it's all this whole yeah. round thing. So we've already seen in the trailers like there's some sort of version of Split being made into a comic book. Yeah. So you see, there's a ver- there's a, the Beast with long hair and he's he's pulling the bars open, which is a, like a, quite a bit. Uh, iconic shot from this yeah. movie which it was, was one used, of the publicity yeah shots, it was yeah. used quite a lot in the trailers yeah so it's, yeah it's interesting yeah <laughs> but sort of continuing on from this like i want to talk about i was a bit sort of disappointed not disappointed but i was a bit underwhelmed by the the musical side of things because there wasn't anything that was particularly dramatic the one thing that i would say that i did notice watching it this time that i thought was good musically is there was a bit of music that sounds like a bit like something banging on a pipe yeah and it's not not until a little bit later on that you realise that it's just that it's not actually in a it's part of the score, yeah, sort of thing. And it's just like and it adds to that creepy element of it. And I feel like I don't know. There's there's lots of instances in this movie where it's it's about tension racking up, yeah. But and the music has to play a part in that. But I feel like everything that's happening on screen is so tense as it is that yeah. you don't notice the music. Yeah. So I feel like because of that, it kind of does its job in a way, yeah. I guess. But yeah, isn't you right? Yeah. It's nothing special yeah like there's nothing there's not a single thing that i could sort of call out from it except for at the very end when they use the they sort of sample the hero theme from unbreakable yeah you can hear some of the unbreakable stuff coming in and you're going wait a minute yeah and you're like <laughs> oh yeah yeah this makes more sense although most people would never know that because obviously well, yeah. it's like 16 years later yeah like you might you may most people going to see split probably never would have seen unbreakable well, some might. Well, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the reason I saw Split was because you told me that I needed to watch it. Well, I never saw it at the cinema. No, but you, we, we saw it on home release, and um, you were like, "Oh, you need to watch Split," and I was like, "Nah, I'm not really into it, man." And you were like, "No, no, you need to watch Split." Yeah, but so did you have it spoiled for you about the the no. twist at the end? Because I think I had when yeah. I watched it. I knew that's what was going to happen. Yeah. So I was sort of prepared for it. But so yeah, you you did the right thing. That's the way around to go. I wish I'd gone and seen it in cinema in hindsight. Even though it's not the most cinematic movie, yeah. you get the same like because a lot of it again is all about performance. Yeah, and, you know, and tension. having that unspoiled at the cinema would have been great. But yeah, exactly. Being in the in the cinema for that particular moment when it's revealed that it's an unbreakable sequel. Yeah. Um. But like, like one thing that I do have an issue with though. Mm. is is it as good as it is because it's a sequel or is it as good as it is because it stands on its own i think it's because it, it stands on its own because that's the thing like one of the problems i had leading up to today and watching it was 
being like, yes, well, it's not actually that good. It's just the unbreakable bit that makes it. And then watching it today, I was like, actually, you know what? This is really no, good. Is I good. really, it, really like, enjoyed it. I mean, it. the stuff we're talking about, like the whole, yeah. you know, suffering versus non-suffering, all that stuff. Yeah. That, that exists entirely outside of unbreakable. Yeah. It doesn't have to have anything to do with unbreakable. And again, and the same with, you know, and the the tension element of it. I feel like Casey's <laughs> story is done very well, even though the parts of it are uncomfortable. Like, yeah. You know, I feel like she's done very well as a smart character, like character in a what is essentially a horror movie. Yeah, it is. Um, and well, it is a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. and they and they build her up in the right way. They keep giving her these flashbacks, and she's smart, intelligent, figures things out, knows when to sh- you know when people should shut up when they should. And same with the other girls. To be fair to them, yeah. Like when they do the first escape attempt through the um event, event, and like and things keep moving along. Like it's not like it's, it reminds it reminds me in a little way of not as good because I know how much you love this movie. Yeah, but it reminds me in a little way of I'm picking, um, up, I'm picking up the wooden fist to throw it. Just you, in case. you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yeah. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. No, I know how good Ten Cloverfield Lane is, <laughs> but it, like it always keeps the story moving. Like it's never sta- it never stagnates at any point. Yeah, it's constantly building, and and then you have these really good like anything with McAvoy on screen basically is and every time mm-hmm. you know, every time a new identity is revealed, it's just like fuck. And it's yeah. Like, and the, and yeah and like and again all of that has got nothing to do with Unbreakable yeah and that's what I mean it's like leading up to today I was convinced that this film was only good because of that end end sequence whereas I'm kind of the opposite today I'm like this is a great film and that end sequence is guff <laughs> like yeah. it's great for what it does but it's it is just it is just it's just mad because yeah. it's so ham fisted ham fisted it's, it's poorly written yeah. it's the shot is fine but it's just like the waitress, for example. I assume she's the waitress because she has a notepad and they're in a diner. But she asks asks this question out loud. She says, "Hey, wasn't it that one guy that was sixteen years ago that was in the wheelchair that did the thing? What was his name?" And then Bruce Willis says, "Ridiculous," and then she just fucks off. That's it. She I- doesn't go, "Huh? Oh, that's right. Oh, are you familiar with that?" And he'll just sip his coffee and just fade to black. Now my, my, she literally just walks away. Right, my interpretation of that, for whatever reason, is that she was not, in fact, a um, waitress at the diner. She was some sort of journalist. And she was taking notes because something's just happened and she's going to, like... And she wants to make notes about it and then rush off to the editor to, to write up some, some sort of... That's very forgiving. It is very forgiving. But, um, but yeah, anyway. But, uh, but I was like, yeah, what was the name of that guy? And it's like, yeah, she remembers precisely it was like 14 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Ago. Not 15, yeah. not 13, 14 years ago. But I can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Glass, the yeah. most iconic. like, like Black cool. guy, interesting hair, wore a lot of purple, worked in a comic book store. Hmm. He was in the wheelchair... And you know when they were kids, they called him something as well. And there was, and like he was the guy who blew up a plane and a yeah. and a hospital. And it's like it's like the Unabomber. You'd know the name yeah. of the guy, wouldn't you? Exactly. The, the Unabomber is like obviously he isn't his real name, but Mister Glass isn't his real name either, is no, exactly. it? Exactly. You remember it, like. Anyway, it's just like it's just, it's a really convoluted way for him to get that to shoehorn that in. Yeah, absolutely. They're good to me. I don't know what the better. I mean, what would a better way of doing it be? I I don't know, but but considering M Night Shyamalan is a very is a respected filmmaker and has made numerous films, I think he could have done better than that. I think he just could have. It could have been something as simple as the news, a version of the news cast being done, 
and then it it zooms out from the TV and you see there are bars on the TV and it keeps zooming out and it turns around and there's just a bunch of like comatose people just watching it in like a, in a, in a um, home for the mentally insane or whatever. Yeah, criminally insane. Cr- criminally insane. And as it pans around, you just see the one person paying attention and it's Samuel L. Jackson yeah. as Mr. Glass. Yeah. It's time for your meds, Mr. Price. Yeah. Glass. The name's Glass. Yeah. End. Yeah. There you go. There, I wrote one better. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> That's took my head coming. Took you now. fucking 10 seconds. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Jesus. <laughs> but, but yeah, and like there are so, there are a lot of things that I really enjoy about this film. That like, I really like films that have got minimal casts because yeah, no, I've have... got broken brains somehow and I find it hard to remember people's names. Yeah. And like Game of Thrones is just a nightmare for me. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. And like I said, watching it this time, I appreciated it so much more. And there are things that are, there are deliberate throwbacks in there that are seeded throughout. Like I said, the fact that it's in Philadelphia and it's directed by Shyamalan. So you're like, huh, that's kind of the same as like The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. And uh, the bit with the train. Yes. This is another thing that we so were going to mention. There's a theory, isn't there? So basically, what we talked about it last week, for whatever reason, he's decided... Continue. Um, yeah, Shyamalan has decided that the name of this series is the East Rail 1... one so The East Rail 177 Trilogy. Yes, which seems strange to us because as far as we can tell, there was no connection. That, that is in reference to the train crash that happens at the very beginning of Unbreakable. Yeah. And as far as we can tell, there is absolutely no mention of that train crash in Split. So how they're all supposed to tie together with that, we're not sure. However, yes, there is mention of a train. Kevin turns into the beast in the train. And the whole idea, the reason that the beast is associated with trains is again tied back to some childhood trauma of his. And in this case, it was that his father left on a train. Yeah. Now I then theorised. Yeah, I'm that, the same. That the train. No, no, no. You what? You're stealing my. Are you taking my theory? What? That he that, that tra- his dad was on the train. Yeah. That's, I literally said that to you. I'm not stealing your idea. No, that was no. I came up with it. I paused the thing and. Said I it. said to you in there, his dad got on the train. No, you didn't. No, yes. I said it. No, we literally said it in there. All right, whatever. My theory now is that he, <laughs> Kevin's dad, got on that that train, the train that Bruce Willis was on, and died in the train crash, and that has been part of the trauma, and that is like almost the genesis of why the beast is the way the beast is, and he lives on the train tracks away yeah. from all the others, because the the idea is that they've got this weird analogy where he lives in the train yard. Yeah, he lives in the train yard, which makes him separate from all of them. But the rest of the identities are in a room together and they've yeah. all got chairs. And then the idea is that one of them takes the light yeah. and is then in control. Um, and you have this sort of internal battle going on between all these different identities. You've got the good identities, people like Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barry's kind of the leader of the good guys. All the rest of them are, you know, we see glimpses of them later on. Yeah. There's the scholar guy who's um, Orwell. Yeah. And then there's Jade, who yeah. I believe is the one who has to take insulin. I think so. Um, You're better at this stuff than I am. And but yeah, and then there, so basically, then you've got the what are the evil fragment of his brain, um, which are Mr. Dennis, who is the OCD um, guy who did the kidnapping. Yeah. You've got Patricia, who is this like crazy, like some sort of evangelical 
for lack of a better word, I don't know what the best way of it. Like she's sort but of she's fu- this fu- really like sort fundamentalist of, sort of. Yeah, like she's a bit sort of crazed. For, well, she's determined that the beast is. She's very motherly. Yeah. is one thing. So she insists on brushing Casey's hair. She insists on making them when she makes them food. She's like, let's go and have a dinner together, mm-hmm. and then takes them through. But she's very, very meticulous in the same way that yeah, Dennis. But I think I think her yeah. So Dennis is the other one who's also OCD. But the thing with Patricia is that she's got this whole thing about um, that poem that she keeps repeating about in the sun we will find our purpose in the sun and this yeah and it's got this whole sort of like cultish religious aspect to it which Dennis doesn't really get into but that's the kind of the idea is that these are the, the what separates them from the others is that they believe in the beast yeah and that the beast is this the rest of them don't believe in it and don't think it's real and then then there's Hedwig who's kind of this weird like innocence and is just supposed to be this nine-year-old boy but he has this unique ability to be able to take the light and I and take over the personality on the body at any point, yeah. no matter who's in charge. Yeah. So they kind of they recruit him to use him, basically. Yeah. Um, and they're saying like, well, they'll take you seriously once they believe that the beast is real. Yeah, um, and because that's one of the things that sort of when I first watched it, sort of bugged me, was that I don't, I don't like it when adults sort of infantilize a performance. And in that, I was it sort of irritated me when I first watched it. I was like, uh But then when they made an explicit point in the film and said, people won't laugh at me anymore. People people don't take me seriously. People make fun of me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can get why people do that. Yeah. But at the same time, I because it's a fully grown man acting and talking in this way and putting on a lisp and, you know, talking about his drawings and his windows and dancing to his music. But also... That is something that's going to happen, yeah. And it is something that's going to irritate somebody that feels that they're a nine-year-old boy, yeah. That are going to be, he's not going to appreciate having fun made of him, and then he's going to want to do anything he can to get out of that, yeah, because he, that's the only problem that he has. Yeah, and then he he feels like people are condescending to him and manipulate him, and that, and then that's the same as what the the girls doing. Like, yeah. and Cassie tries to Casey, Casey, Casey. But it's almost <laughs> like a sort of a. Uh, parental sort of system as well because there is Patricia Dennis yeah uh, act sort of like yeah like he's like the almost like yeah like his parents yeah Yeah. but like again that's why that's what I love about this film is that we are talking about all these different characters like they're different characters and they have dynamics between them and they have they are and their relationships between them and how they work and they are different characters and that is all purely on the strength of McAvoy's performance Mm mm-hmm because I one hundred percent believe this is a different person I'm watching now. Yeah. And then, but it, like he doesn't change his appearance doesn't change. It's not like he puts on a wig when he's Patricia or anything like that. He's still got a shaved head. Like, yeah. He still just looks like James McAvoy. Yeah. But, like, there is a bit when he changes um, when there's a costume change in there. Yeah, there will be costume. But then changes. that's everything that's hung up all across the wall. Yeah. yeah. But also, one of my favorite parts of his entire performance was the scene when he's in the. Um, Psychiatrist's office. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we said this, didn't we? But it's when he's he's sat there. Yeah, and it's this is going back to the um, sort of this is like a similar thing to like the way the voiceover artists do things. He's playing a character, playing a character. Yeah. So the but idea he's is, playing yeah. a character 
who's playing another character, but not as well as he should. So he, yeah. we've already seen him be that person. We've seen and what we've Barry's seen, meant to be like, yeah. Yeah. And then Dennis playing Barry is slightly different. Mm. And you're like, yeah, he sat in the chair more uncomfortably. He, his legs are crossed slightly differently. Yeah. His hands are in a different position. It's like you said in the rundown with the bit with the bin. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, because the original personality or would have steered around it. Yeah, most people but, do, yeah. Yeah, or everybody would have walked around, walked, avoided walking through the trash, but he specifically walked through it. And you're like, that's another great bit of the writing in this. But that yeah, that's another feature of again why I enjoyed this film so much is that there are bits that go in there that are sort of seeded throughout. Mm. Well, like the, even that. So like the the first time we meet Barry, yeah, or whatever he turns up at her office and they keep putting this little thread in there about how he's sending these random emails in the middle of the night saying he needs to see her, and then he turns up, everything's fine. He's like, oh, it's just garden variety issues, you know. <laughs> he like he repeats, but. First time we see him, he's like excited about these drawings that he's done for some new clothes. Yeah. But he's wandering around her office and he keeps adjusting things. Yeah. And changing things so everything's square. And everything's... Because he, he's not actually Barry. He's Dennis, who's yeah. got OCD. And we know, and, that, and there's the other thing. I love that. What I love about these things as well is that and Casey picks up on everything. Like she picked up on the fact that he was OCD. Yeah. Like immediately. So when he got in the van, like before he did anything, he put like gloves on and he removed there was some trash. Yeah. On the on the steering wheel and he like wiped the steering wheel and it was like really really meticulous and she noticed that and then immediately in the following scene when he's taking away Marcia, she like grabs her and says, "Pee, pee on yourself." Yeah. Just pee on yourself. And the minute she does that, we don't see it. It happens off screen. Yeah. But then he just he freaks out, can't deal with it, and lets her go. But, and that's how how quickly her mind works and how quickly she figures stuff out. Yeah. And it's like... It's because very, she's got this survivor strength. Yeah, but it's this very... Dark, the reasoning behind it is very dark. Is the idea that she's been living with an abuser all her life. Yeah. Or, you know, and she therefore knows how to sort of trick them. And uh, there's some very you know overt references when they do the flashbacks in certain places. They're talking about how you have to outthink this animal. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. And, but she's been doing that all her life, and so she's able to yeah. do that. And again, but again, that comes back to this whole thing of she's suffered, so she's better. Yeah. I don't know what that says. Yeah, and th- that- that's the thing. Like, I would get it if it was the tragic origin story. Mm. The something like her father dying and her going into care. Mm. That is a tragic origin story. But the fact that they weighed so much of it on her being this sexual assault survivor mm. it's yeah it felt it felt a bit uncomfortable like i i understand how amazing that these survivors are mm. in real life but to 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 almost cheapen it to make them yeah, to give them the sort of saying. the heroism yeah and to sort of and to say if you haven't been through something like that then you're somehow lesser as well yeah it's like that's a bit of a back like is yeah. i get the like the i feel like the intention is good but the messaging is slightly off. It's a little bit... Yeah, and this is what I mean. Like, when you first start watching the film, and then the the flashbacks in themselves are quite jarring. Yeah. Because it's like a triple narrative almost. Yeah. There's like... So there's there's Casey's, there's McAvoy's, and then there's the flashback. Yeah. But... um, And the Doctor. And the Doctor as well. But I don't know. It felt a little cheap. Yeah, I guess so. But then at the same time, it, it you know... 
I feel like a lot of it would have come down to her whatever her decision ends up being in the end and that's what I want it to continue I want to see how that continues in the next yeah. one yeah she's yeah. going to be in the next one isn't yeah. she yeah. Uh, yeah she's in it but what I want to see happen is that as a result of what's happened yeah. she therefore changes her situation yeah so if it's a case of because of this like because they have that sort of very sort of pregnant moment without actually having you know following through on it which is the police woman comes to her and says your uncle's here yeah. you're ready to go home yeah, and she just looks at her with this fucking like really determined look, and doesn't say anything, and then it just cuts. Yeah, what I want to believe is that that she therefore has through this horror again through this trauma has come out stronger because of it, yeah. and therefore is going to tell the police about what's going on and get out away from her uncle or whatever yeah. and change the situation. But again, that's coming back to his theory about suffering and all. Yeah. So it took two women die- being eaten in front of me. <laughs> Yeah, for me to then stand up to my abuser, and it's okay. It took three women to die for me to stand up to the man. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I mean. What are you saying? That, <laughs> yeah, and like we do have sort of these moments of sort of celebrating strong women in film, which is great, mm-hmm. and is and I love it, like Aliens, for example. Mm-hmm. It does feel like this sort of uncomfortable framing that's a little bit too much of a sensitive area yeah in my opinion but yeah and then i think one of the things that i'm looking forward to about glass sort of continuing from this mm. is how like i said is the culmination of everything coming together one thing that i am gonna now be thinking is why are we setting the beast against david dunn not only just because obviously they want to present themselves to the world but why is he gonna go after him it, he's already got that tragic origin story so he's already damaged so surely he would be <laughs> sorry who are you talking about so the beast yeah. going after david dunn yeah so why is it that the beast is i don't know i feel like surely be... he'd just walk away like he did with casey uh i guess so but i don't know i feel like it'll be a case of he'll be like he'll be trying to david he won't go after david as such it'll be he's going out he's going after someone else and david's yeah. the thing in his way oh, okay yeah, i feel I like it's a case of from what again, from what I can tell from the trailers, it's like Elijah sort of unleashed the beast, knowing full well that he's going to hurt innocent people, and if David sees that, David will have to stop him, which is what Elijah wants. Yeah, yeah. But as far as the beast is concerned, yeah, he, he's just he's, well, yeah, because Elijah set himself as the machinations. He's the mastermind, so he's going to yeah. mani- manipulate all of them, and he's going to like just let the beast loose, and knowing, and then just sort of say to David, like, you know, what you have to, <laughs> yeah, it's a shot of him getting the the trench coat out, isn't it? Oh, the poncho. The poncho. Yeah. Up. And yeah, the God idea is that poncho. he wants to manipulate the situation so that David has to run to the rescue. Yeah. And somehow get it to a point where it's public, I think, is what he's going to try yeah. and do. But again, God, that's I just good. Huh? I really want it to be good. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So, I mean, I don't really know what else to say. No, I mean, I, I, otherwise, we're just going to sit here and no, I think we're, you're well, going to say tour de force six or seven more times. It was a tour de force before. I'm going to throw something at you. I fucking told you, man. It was. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit for it. I genuinely don't. I think it's fucking brilliant. Like, it, yeah, like, it was great. And and if he continue, if they somehow can have him continue to do it, or if he gets another opportunity to, he's de- well, he's at least going to get one more opportunity to do this, which is going to be in Glass. Yeah, where he plays this character with multiple characters, type yes. thing. So at least we'll get that, and there'll be those two movies that he made at least. But yeah, I don't know what else there is to say, really. I think, yeah, we talked about everything we want to talk about. Yeah. And we're already now just getting to the point where we're speculating about Glass. Yeah. 
which sort of shows how excited and pumped we are and and hopeful. That's I think yeah. that's, your, that's the thing with you and me at the moment. I think we're both like just willing it to be as good as we want it to be. And I hope we haven't built it up in our heads too much. Um, no, but we'll see. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's what I I think it will suffer from hype. Yeah. So very much in the same way that a lot of films do. If it's not good, it might be down to an inflated expectation. Yeah. But it also might be because M. Night Shyamalan sometimes makes a duff film. Yeah, this is still the guy who directed The Happening and The Last Airbender. Let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, let, let's all be under no illusions here, okay? Yeah. Like, every now the guy and then... with a fucking roulette wheel, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually, good note to end on. Where does this rate in terms of his cameos, do you think? Oh, oh, his cam- oh. Where he ra- he's some random dude who oh, loves Hooters. Jay Hooker's fan. Jay Hooker's fan, which is how he's credited. Oh, not Hooker's fan. Not Hooker's. Hooter's fan. <laughs> Jesus. Wow, one letter changed that whole concept, didn't it? It was... Just weird. It was really shoehorned in. Yeah, and then she has this whole weird little theory about how if Henry VIII ran a, ran a fast food joint because men need to be surrounded by chicken wings and augmented breasts. It's yeah. Like, what is that? Why would you write that? Why, why go off on that weird tangent exactly. about, about Hooters? Like, it's, just, it's really out of place and strange. So if he has that perspective, so he wrote this. Yeah. So if he has that perspective on it, he wrote himself as a fan of Hooters to have this perspective that he's written for this doctor to say that she's disapproving of Hooters. But, like, is Hooters still a thing? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's not really... Like, in this country, we seem to think of it as a bigger thing. It's just it's just a bar. It's like TGI Fridays, like, but mate, the waitresses wear short shorts and booby tops. I know, there used to be one in Cardiff. <laughs> I had my 21st birthday. Was that Hooters in Cardiff? Of course you did. Of course I did. It was great. Uh, how many lads did you go with? All the lads. Lad it up. We, it was the laddiest thing I've ever ladded. Ah, oh, such a lad. We were drinking cores. Of course you were. Tastes like piss water. <laughs> such a lad beer. Oh, God. Uh, you can have any beer you want, as long as it's a Corona. Um. <laughs> yeah, that put me off Corona for a while, that. Yep. We, 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 we're stumbling here. I think we should probably call it a day. Yeah, I think we should call it. <laughs> um. So, yeah, Split is great. It stands on it. I think we've sort of come to the conclusion there. We're happy to say it stands on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also does kind of work as a sequel to Unbreakable. It yeah. continues a lot of the same themes, um, and we're hoping that Glass is going to be the culmination of all this. Um, so next week, we're going to go and see Glass at the cinema. We don't know 100% when it's going to be out. We're going to do our best, and then we'll get it out to you and let you know, guys know what we think about Glass. Yeah, I mean, uh, just trying to think. Is there anything else that we've got to say? No. Um, usual stuff. You can find us on all the socials. Yeah, so um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can email us at theomcastpod at gmail.com. Yep. I look forward to hearing from you there. And then just the last thing is what we do every week, which is beg for your rates and reviews on iTunes. Yep, need them. Um, that's how it works. Crazy important, and please do it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, cool. All right, well, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week to talk about glass. Yep. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Casey, Cassie tries to, Casey. 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 Is it Anya or Anya? I'll call him Kevin, oh, whatever. Sneaks Ke- Cassie up, Casey. This is Dennis. No, it's not fucking Dennis, it's Barry, fuck's sake. 
Cassie or Casey? Casey. Fuck's sake, Casey. Starring James McAvoy, 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 James McAvoy.